what do you do after that kind of, I mean, magic? Um, well, welcome. Uh, I'm really thankful you are all here as we spend this kind of Sunday kicking off a new series titled uh, Summer Glow Up, Doing Life Through a Different Lens. And our creative team took this series and kind of packaged it around a Miami vibe. If you were here earlier, we were bouncing around some beach balls. That's why we were doing that. I bought a special shirt. Um, Yes, very nice. I I probably will never uh, wear this shirt again, Uh, but we're going to, yeah, but we're going to have some fun. Now, if you are over the age of 25, we may need a definition about what a glow up is. I'm not going to make any assumptions, but you know what? We're all here together. So let's work through a a definition of what a glow up is. A glow up is this. a slang term used to describe a significant transformation, typically in physical appearance, that is perceived as an improvement. It's the process of turning yourself into a better version of yourself and becoming more confident, attractive, and successful. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but who among us wouldn't want to be more confident, attractive, and successful? This past spring, I had my own version of not a summer glow up, but maybe a spring glow up. Um, I had kind of taken some time to look at my life and said, you know, I'm kind of struggling maybe a little emotionally. I'm feeling a little sad. And, And I had put on a few more pounds than I was comfortable with. And so what I did is I decided to, you know what, I need to make a change. I started watching what I was eating, and I went through the process of losing some weight. And then I went to Brazil and gained a few back, but that's a different story. But here's something I learned through that process, and I'm sure many of you already know this lesson. When I lost the weight, like I had lost about 20 pounds and and I was doing the thing and, and I did it, but when I had gotten to the finish line, what I realized was I was still kind of sad. Like, like what I thought was going to fix the problem of like, if I just work on my outward appearance, I would feel better. I would feel more emotionally like high. I would feel more like confident and attractive. Like I would feel, there was something still inside of me that I was struggling with. You see, unless we work on transforming our inward self, our outward appearance and our outward transformation will never bring lasting or meaningful change. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I wear glasses. Um, I've worn glasses for a lot of time. Um, Heather likes to call it my disability. Um, She's so mean, but love her to pieces. But I remember the first time I went to the doctor to get my first pair of prescription glasses. You know, you sit in the chair and they start doing all the different lenses in front of your eyes. And and I got my prescription. I remember putting my glasses on for the first time. And it was like, whoa, like I finally saw life, almost what felt like HD. Like it was an incredible experience. And if you have ever worn glasses or contacts, like you know that moment of just like life coming into focus. It was amazing. And you see, what I learned is like when you have the right lenses, you have the right perspective. But what would happen 
If instead of going to the doctor and getting the right pair of prescriptions, I just went to maybe Walmart and, and went to that giant rack of like, the, you know, the reader glasses that they have, and, and I just picked a random pair of glasses off the rack. Well, what probably would have happened is I would have put those on and maybe my vision would have gotten a little better, right? Maybe things maybe would have been slightly less blurry, but the reality is over time, I probably would have gotten headaches. And over time, I never would have reached my full potential in what my vision could happen. You see, I needed the right lenses to experience true transformation. And the same goes for you and I when it comes to our spiritual life. You see, many of us know that we have a vision problem. A lot of us know that spiritually we have a blindness. And oftentimes what happens is when we start realizing we have this blind spot in our life, we start reaching for the easiest solutions. And the world loves giving us easy and temporary solutions to our problems. You could say the world loves giving us the proverbial off-the-shelf prescription to our problems. We'll say things like this. Um, Man, I'm really struggling, and, and if I only lost 20 pounds, I know I'd be happier. Like, if I only hit that goal, like, I know I'd be happier and more confident. And and then we lose the 20 pounds and we realize, well, the problems in my heart and in my soul, it's the same way. Or, Or if I only made more money, or if I only got that promotion, like, I know if that would happen, I know I would finally feel like I had purpose. I know I would finally feel like I made it. I know my mom and dad would finally be proud of me. And then you get a little bit more money, and you get another promotion, and you realize more money, more problems, and there's still something inside of us that's struggling. Temporary solutions. Or maybe for some of us, it's, well, if I only had a different spouse, right? And, and we're going to get real for them. We, we will say things like, well, man, they seem to be so happy. And if I only had that spouse, I know I truly feel loved and I, feel, I would truly feel seen for maybe for the first time. And here's the reality with some of those things. Some of those things are good, not the new spouse, But losing some weight and working and striving, like those things are good things. But as Christians, the Bible says that we are new creations in Christ, that the old ways are gone and the new has come. And so we need to stop trying to do life through an old set of lenses, the lenses the world has given us, a temporary solution to a long-term problem, which is our spiritual health. You see, when Jesus came, he came to usher in something new. He came in to usher in a new kingdom and a new way of living. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we are living our lives through the lenses of Jesus. Because if we want to experience lasting change and true transformation, we need to make sure that we are rooted in the right 
things. So I don't know about you, but I am ready for a summer glow up, not physically, but spiritually, and I hope you are as well. So this morning, we are going to be in um, Luke chapter 17, and we are going to look at two different set of lenses that we need to be looking at when it comes to this new life we have in Jesus, and that is the lens of faith and gratitude. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 11, and we're going to see Jesus perform an incredible miracle. And we're going to see and learn a lesson through a person that we would never think we would learn a powerful lesson on gratitude through. So, so with that, let's dive in. And here's what I also want to say. On your way in, you were handed a pair of sunglasses. These are for you to keep. I, I hope you have fun with these. But what I want you to do as we're reading scripture today, and as we're walking through this sermon, I want you to be asking yourself the question, what lenses are you wearing? When you think about how you view your life and your circumstances and what's happening, are you viewing life through the lens of faith and gratitude? Or are you viewing life through an old set of lenses? So as we're going through, hold on to these and be thinking about that as we're going it. So with that, let's jump in. We're going to start in verse 11, and it kicks off like this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, that being Jesus. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You see, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he eventually go to die on the cross for our sins. But along the way, he intentionally made moments that illustrated his power and what this new kingdom of God needed to look like. So as we dive in, I want to kind of pull out a couple things. Um, the first thing is in the New Testament, um, we see this word leprosy a lot. And in scripture, it's not what we think of today as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is what we kind of label leprosy as. But in the New Testament, leprosy meant any skin disease that was highly contagious. And you see, when you had leprosy back in those days, you had to be excommunicated from society. You were, had to live outside of community. And in fact, it was so bad that by law, by law, um, you had to yell out if you were ever sick or, or had leprosy that you were unclean, that you had to literally announce to someone, hey, hey, don't, don't come close to me, I'm unclean. Have you ever had someone in your life that was a little TMI? Um, I have someone in my life. Uh, when I, see, growing up in, in my house, um, my family was very British. And what that meant was we didn't talk about anything. Um, like when it came to like uh, bathroom stuff, right? All I knew was there was something called a restroom. Not even a bathroom. It was like the restroom. And then as I started dating my wife, Heather, 
Heather came from a very different set of values and perspectives. And I remember first dating her and being like, wow, this is a lot of TMI. Not used to it. Um, and if you know Heather, you know uh, that. Um, but can you imagine, maybe on a Sunday morning like this, as you walked in, walking in and having to announce to everyone your struggle. Having it to announce to everyone maybe why you feel unclean. You know, as you kind of are going through the door and you have the greeter, you have to announce to someone, hey, I'm a gossip. Yeah, yeah, please, please, don't tell me anything. Because if you do, I'm just going to share it with someone else. Or, or maybe... Uh, Maybe you have to share about what happened Saturday night. Yeah, hey, I'm a drunk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. So good to see you. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little hungover. Yeah. Or maybe for some of you, it's, um, hey, good morning. Yeah, I'm jealous of you. Yeah, everything that you have. You know, the, the spouse and the, and, the, and, and the house and the car and the job. Like, like everything you have, yeah, I'm envious of you. Good morning. <laughs> or maybe for some of us, it's we're going through the hallway, shaking hand, getting that morning cup of coffee, and we, we say, uh, hey, hey, I, I struggle with pornography. Yeah, good morning. It's, it's, nice to, it's nice to be here. Could you imagine? Could, could you imagine having to share your inward struggle publicly? Well, the reality is, I think, if I'm actually being honest, that in our churches, if we were a little bit more honest with our struggles, we would probably be in a healthier place. But that's what these men had to do. They had to be identified with their struggles. And then hearing the rumor about this man named Jesus and his power, they stood at a distance and called out to him, Master, have mercy on us. I hope you see the beauty in this, is that Jesus saw them. These men probably haven't felt seen in years and years and years. And Jesus heard these men calling out to him, identifying of, yeah, I have to stand at a distance. I can't even get close to you. And Jesus seeing them, these group of men that felt outcasted, rejected, and unclean. What a beautiful message is Jesus sees those that feel rejected. I want to spend some time now looking at verse 14 because it's important. In verse 14, it says, Go and show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleaned. Now catch this. First off, Jesus knew the law. You see, in Jewish law, if you had leprosy, a priest was the only one to kind of sign off on you that you were healed. That if you thought you were healed, that you had to go to a priest, present yourself. And in, in, actually, in the book of Leviticus, there's tons of like orders on how to do this. And a priest would have to examine you. And if you were healed, he was able to sign off on you. So Jesus knew this, and he knew what was about to happen. So he told these 10 lepers, hey, go and show yourselves to the priest. Secondly, 
It says, as they went, they were cleansed. Meaning this, these men needed to take a step of faith to experience healing. It doesn't say that these men said, okay, Jesus, I know you said that I'm going to be cleansed, but I'm going to wait for the cleansing and then I'll go. Like, Jesus, I'm going to wait for you to answer my prayer. Jesus, I know I've been praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, but like, Jesus, when you finally come through for me, that's when I'm going to take a step. No, for these men, these men needed to take a step of faith in order to experience healing. It was out of obedience to the master that these men took a step of faith and they started walking. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, is obedience is part of the healing process. Obedience is part of the healing process. We see in the Old Testament, there's this famous person named Abraham. And you see, Abraham was like a legendary in the Old Testament. He started the nation of Israel, and it was like this big deal. But God had said something to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a famous name. I'm going to do amazing things through you. But first, you need to start walking. No, no, I'm not going to show you what I'm going to do first, but you need to trust me and you need to take a step of faith. You need to leave your country. You need to leave your family. You need to leave everything that feels safe. And you need to start walking. And Abraham started walking and God blessed him for it. Church, what is God and where is God calling you to go? What is God calling you to do right now? Because my guess is some of you are stuck in a version of spiritual paralysis. You know, God is calling you to forgive that person. You know the person on your mind right now that you, God is putting on your heart to forgive, but you say, well, when they forgive first, when they take a step first, then I'll forgive. And maybe this morning God is saying, no, 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 no. We start walking first. Maybe for some of you, God is calling you to give and and be generous, but you say, well, God, when you finally start coming through and when you finally start providing more, that's when I'll be generous. Or maybe for some of you, it's living in fear. You're saying, man, I just feel so fearful and there's this thing going on in my life and I just feel so stuck. But but God, when you finally decide to make, make me feel safe, That's when I'm going to start trusting you. That's when I'm going to start walking. That's when I'm going to start moving in faith. Church, God is calling us to operate as Christians, as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God, to operate through the lens of faith. And faith takes a step. So what is God trying to do in your life, but you are stuck sitting on the sidelines? For these men, obedience was evidence of their faith. So a question is, is there evidence in your faith this morning of taking steps of faith? So let's continue in verse 15 to see what happens. It says this, and then one of them, when they saw, oh, when one of them, when he saw that they, he was healed, 
he turned back, praising God with a loud, loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Church, this is such a beautiful scene, and I want you to imagine with me for a moment. It says that when you had leprosy, most commonly, it started to, after years and years and years, it started to deform you. And if you Google pictures, it's horrifying, so I don't think you should, but man, it starts to deform your face and your hands, and it's a brutal, brutal disease. So I want you to imagine that Jesus says, hey, go show yourselves to the priests, and these men start walking. And as they're walking, this one leper starts to look down at his hands and sees healing. He probably starts touching his face and, and feels something happening. And, and in, a, in a miraculous way, he's experiencing healing and the power of God, and he turns back. He turns back and runs at the feet of Jesus, giving Jesus thanks and praise for what he has experienced. What a beautiful scene. That kind of perspective only comes when you truly know what you've been healed from. That kind of praise, that kind of thanks only comes when you know what you've truly been healed from. Now, I want to talk a little bit about who is this guy that turned around? Who is this guy that turned back? Scripture tells us that he was a Samaritan. Now, why is this important? Well, in Jewish culture back in the day, um, Samaritans were not popular. They were rejected from society. They were to believe to have rejected the God of Israel. Uh, they were outcasted. They were rejected. And Jewish culture didn't even just like outcast them. But scripture will tell us that Jewish culture hated Samaritans. So for this man, what started with rejection after an encounter with Jesus ends with him praising and giving thanks to Jesus being a rabbi for what he had experienced. In this man's life, we are seeing a pattern of the gospel. In Ephesians, it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so this man, after experiencing the grace of God and after taking a step of faith and experiencing healing, this man turned back to give praise to God. This Samaritan learned a new pattern of living in the kingdom of God. That when we do life through the lens of faith and gratitude, when the people of God experience the power of God, we have so only, the only response we have is to give thanks to God. And this is the truth I think we learn from the Samaritan today. This is the truth I think we learn from Scripture today, is that faith drives thanks. Faith drives thanks. Or, or I should say like this, faith should drive thanks. 
that for those of us that are living in the kingdom of God, that are followers of Jesus, we are called to do life in a different way. We are called to wear the lenses of faith and gratitude. We're called to look at our life and look at our circumstances, not from an old pair of lenses, but from the lenses that Jesus has given us of faith and gratitude, that we know what we've been saved from, that we know who our God is, that we know of his power and his might and the sacrifice that he made for us. And in faith, in faith in Jesus, we should be consistently and routinely and daily motivated to a place of giving praise and thanks to Jesus. Thankful hearts are fundamental, are foundational to our Christian walk. But I want to pause for a moment. I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I'm always fascinated about the other people, right? There's always that main person, like the lesson that we need to learn here is from the Samaritan, that faith drives thanks and that he did the right thing. But what about the other nine? Like the other nine that didn't turn back, the other nine that didn't give praise to God, why do you think they didn't return? What do you think was going on in their hearts and minds that they just decided to, to just keep going? Didn't they receive the same mercy as Jesus? Didn't they have the same encounter? Weren't they on the same road experiencing the healing of God? Why didn't they turn back? Now listen, when you're studying scripture, this is so important, you need to learn, this is a Bible study tip. You never assign motives to someone that aren't stated, right? If scripture doesn't say it, don't assign a motive to someone because this is what we do human nature. We always assign good motives to ourselves and the worst motives to someone else. I mean, this is what we do. I'll give you an example. Um, people who don't return shopping carts. Um, I, yeah, it brings up emotions. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm sure if we were being honest, there has been a time that we haven't returned a shopping cart. But for ourselves, we had a good motive, right? Well, that particular day at Target, like it was raining and it was like, I couldn't, I just couldn't return the shopping cart. Like that's why I didn't do it that one time. Or like the kids were screaming and I had to rush around. I didn't have, I didn't have enough hands and so I had to rush and I didn't return the shopping cart. Or whatever reason might be, we have great motives. But the other person, they're just lazy. How can they not return the shopping cart? Like they are the, literally the worst person in society. Like that's what we say, that's what we do. We always give the best motives to ourselves and we assign the worst motives to someone else. So we're not going to do this to these nine lepers. We're going to assume the best. We're going to assume the best of these nine people, uh, these nine lepers, weren't they just doing what Jesus asked them to do? Jesus said to these nine, go and show yourselves to the priest. Weren't they not just obeying? Weren't they not saying, hey, I'm healed. Jesus said, go talk to the priest and just go on there way. When I started thinking about this and praying over this, my heart got really, really heavy. How many of us have answered 
prayers with empty praise. How many of us, God has done something in our life and we never got to a moment to give him praise. We never got to a moment to give him thanks. We just simply went to the next thing. Okay, God, I know you answered that prayer, so now I have this other thing, God. There's so much going on in my life right now. I just need to ask this one more thing, God. I'll show you a time of how I'm not that good. Um, two years ago, uh, Heather and I were in the process of needing to buy a house. Um, we, we were in transition from my old job into this new role as a pastor, and um, I had 30 days to find a house. And it was like the peak of the housing market. You probably all remember it. It was a disaster. And man, there was like feeling like there was no hope. And so Heather and I were literally on our knees praying, God, please provide us a house. Like we want to do ministry in this house. We want to have Bible studies and life groups. And we want to invite couples over to to minister to them. Like we want to have an amazing opportunity. God, please give us a house so we can use it for you. And God did that. From the day we saw our house to the day we closed on our house to the day we were holding the keys, it was exactly 30 days. I remember our realtor and our appraiser being like, I don't know who did this because this is crazy. Like this never happens. And Heather and I being, well, we know. I mean, we got God on our side. But in that season of life, I would love to tell you that the minute we heard the news that I fell on my knees and I gave praise and thanks to God in a dramatic way. But you see, I was wrapped up in the chaos of life. Like we had 30 days and then the move started and and then we started having the Bible studies in our house and we started inviting the couples over our house and and we were doing ministry and like we were using for God and, and I was so wrapped up in doing for God that I didn't pause long enough to give thanks to God. I didn't pause long enough in my life to give praise to God for what he was doing because I thought I was doing the right thing. I was just doing what Jesus had told me to do. I was using my house for ministry. So what is going on in your life where God has answered a prayer and God has done something? God has performed a miracle in your life, but you've brushed past it and you've never paused long enough to give praise to God. Maybe some of you in the room today need to pause and give praise. But can I take it a step further? Maybe get a little bit more convicting? Some of us in the room today may not, we haven't brushed by being thankful. We can't even find the ways to be thankful. Like if we're looking at our life and our circumstances, like we're looking at these things and we're like, yeah, yeah, God, I know you're God, but like, I don't think I have a reason to pause. Like, God, God, you, maybe you don't know what's going on in my life and in my circumstances. Like, I'm looking all around, and I don't feel like I have the ability or the capacity to be grateful. Some of us in the room today might be struggling with an ungrateful heart. So what I want to do is I want to walk through a couple ways of how you know that you might be struggling with ungratefulness. The first one is this. You're never satisfied. No matter what God does in your life, no matter what prayers God answers, no matter what opportunities are surrounded you with, no matter what comes your way, you are never, ever satisfied. It's always what's next. I I want more. I I need the next thing. I need the better thing. Like, I'm never satisfied. For some of us, it's because we feel spiritually disconnected. 
As a pastor, I have people come to me all the time. Graham, I I need some advice. You see, when I read scripture, I just feel like it comes up flat. Maybe you've ever been in a season like this. Like, it's just, there's just nothing coming off the page. And and when I pray, I just feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. Like, I'm just, I just feel so spiritually disconnected from God. And one of the first questions I ask is, well, what are you grateful for God for? Because when we align our hearts to a place of gratitude, of thanking God, even for the small things, even for the little things, you'll be amazed on how that connection fires right back up. For some of us that are ungrateful, it's we're overly negative and critical, right? No matter what happens, it's a negative outlook and it's a critical outlook, right? That's a sign of an ungrateful heart or, or you surround yourself with other ungrateful people. It's amazing how we attract what we are. And if you're struggling with an ungrateful heart, you will probably look around and say, well, everyone around me tends to have the same attitude as I do. Or maybe you're someone that can never celebrate other people's blessings, right? God is doing something in their life. Wow, look what God is doing. Instead of celebrating, saying, man, I prayed for you and God answered that prayer and I'm celebrating, you say, well, why didn't God didn't do that for me? Like, why, why, why not me, God? Those are signs of struggling with an ungrateful heart. And here's what I would say to you if you're kind of on the fence, If you're like saying, I don't know if I'm ungrateful, like I feel like I'm okay on these things. Maybe you need to be bold enough to ask someone really close to you and say, I need you to be honest with me. Um, Do you feel I struggle with an ungrateful heart? Church, we belong to the kingdom of God. We are children of the living God. We have a hope and a future, and we should be people that are defined by thankfulness. We have so much to be thankful for. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. There might be someone in the room today that's saying, I'm good. Right? Like, man, this sermon isn't for me. Like, I am the most grateful person. Like, there has never been a more grateful person than me. Where I want to challenge you is Jesus saved his harshest words for those that said, I'm good. Because when I read this text and I looked at my own life, man, there were areas that I had to fall on my knees before God and say, God, I'm not giving the praise that you deserve. I'm not giving the thankfulness you deserve. So if you're struggling right now, here's here's maybe a starting point. The areas that you struggle with the most is maybe what you need to pause and start giving thanks about. For some of you, it might be saying, God, I struggle so much with my parents. And maybe you need to start reversing that to uh, uh, an idea of gratitude, an idea of thankfulness, saying, God, I'm thankful my parents are still here. God, I know there's, there's people in my life that no longer have their parents and, and I see the hardship and the brokenness that's there. And God, I know I struggle, but I'm just thankful that I have parents. God, I just can't seem to pay my bills right now. I'm struggling, but God, I'm thankful that you've put me in a situation that I have to be dependent on you. 
some of us need to change the perspective of that tough relationship. We have the relationship that we have. We just can't seem to break free. It's that friend or it's that coworker and we're struggling and we need to pause and say, God, I know I'm going through that, but I'm thankful that you promise that you will be with me in the valley. Some of us got that marriage thing, man, it just, we just can't seem to break free from, but we're gonna pause and say, God, I am thankful that you are the God of restoration and I'm gonna change my perspective. I'm gonna start living with a heart of thankfulness and I'm gonna take a step. What would it look like if we became a church so filled with faith so filled with taking steps of obedience, so filled with wearing the lenses of gratitude and giving thanks, we would be a church used to change the world. We would be used to change Tom's River. We would be a church used to change every relationship that we are connected with in this room if we were a people so defined by faith, so defined by giving thanks. Imagine what could happen. Many of us are praying for a miracle. We want a miracle in your life. And some of us today need to have the boldness to take a step. God, I need you to restore that relationship in my life. And maybe God is saying to you in this moment, well, don't wait for them to take a step. I'm waiting for you to take a step. I'm waiting for you to move first. And when I come through, I'm waiting for you to give me praise and I'm ready for you to give me thanks because God is worthy and deserving of our thanks. One of the reasons why church is so important, I think about this all the time, is because church is a place that we come together to give praise and worship to our God. That we come in this room and we sing songs like reckless love and we sing songs like the same God and we're giving praise to God and we're coming together to give thanks. But what happens when we only come to church every like six weeks? Or we only come to church every like three months? Like that's when we tap in. Are we saying that we don't have anything to give praise for? Are we saying we don't have anything to give thanks for? Church, because if the only thing we have is that without Jesus, we were lost, and in Jesus, we are found, we should be running into this building, giving praise and thanks to God, raising our voices. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. And that's only the beginning. So here's what I want to challenge you to do for this week. If you are someone who's on the fence, if you are something, you have an area of your life you know you are struggling with and there's a, there's, a, there's a burden of, man, I know I'm struggling with thankfulness. This week, I simply want you, starting tomorrow, Monday through next Sunday, to simply give thanks to God in your prayer life. I don't want you asking for anything. The only thing that you can confess is confessing an ungrateful heart. And I want you to take time every single day. God, I'm thankful for this. God, thank you for giving me this opportunity. God, thank you for giving me this struggle because it's putting me in a place of being dependent on you. And I promise you, if you take a week of simply giving thanks to God for every single circumstance, I promise you, your perspective and your life will change. So for those of you that are struggling, for those of you that might not be wearing the lenses of faith and the, the lenses of thankfulness, it might be time to 
take the old lenses off and pick up a pair of new lenses and say, I'm ready for a glow up. Not a physical glow up, but a spiritual glow up. I'm ready to start living the ways of Jesus and I'm ready to start living through the lenses of faith and gratitude. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. God, I, I pray for the room and I include myself in this, God. If there are areas of our heart and areas of our life that we are struggling, that we know that there is an area of our heart that is wrestling with being thankful, God, I pray you break down that wall. I pray we take this week and just lay it at your feet and we be a people that are defined by giving praise. We are people that are defined by giving thanks. God, you are worthy of it. You are deserving of it, of everything you've done for us. God, change our perspective, renew our minds and allow us to be people defined by faith and giving thanks. So Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you are with us. And I thank you for the moment we are about to have to give you praise and to give you thanks. And Jesus, in your holy name, amen.